0: Each and every one of our stories is so important. It makes us who we are and it allows us to really impact people. But so often we want to keep it hidden because we're afraid to expose the parts of us, the vulnerable parts of us that we don't want to be judged or share with the world. And I think that when we get in touch with our story, When we allow the world to really know who we are, we allow our friends and family to experience us authentically, transparently. Things change within our lives because we are all designed with a purpose and for a purpose in the world. And that's not just a vocational calling. That's not just something we do. That's who we are. So today on the podcast, I'm really excited For this episode, because I'm sharing a guest. His name is Sam Collier, who wrote a book called A Greater Story. And it's his story about his life. And we're going to get a little bit into his story, but we're actually going to be getting into a conversation about the racial injustice within North America and how that is affecting families and people and how it's affecting our entire world and what we can do about it moving forward as a community, collectively, and as a church. So I want to encourage you to really listen into the story, but also to find yourself within your own story so that you can make an even bigger impact in the world. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week, we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello, friends. I'm so thankful to be back with you today. I just love hanging out with you. We've got a guest on the show today, Sam Collier. You're going to really, really enjoy him and his conversation. I had an opportunity to read his book not very long ago. And I really wanted to have him on the show because of what he is talking about in the world and where he comes from, which is down south, down in Georgia. And it's a place where I know well, I used to live down in Memphis, Tennessee. And so I know that part of the world very well. And so Our conversation is really centered on his story, but also really understanding the racial injustice that's going on in the world. And so I'm super, super excited. Now, Sam is an author. He's a speaker. He's a podcaster. He has his own show. He's got all these things, but I don't want that to fool you. He's an amazing communicator, but he's also a really great human, and he's got something I think really important for us to hear today. And so I would encourage you just to listen In and be present for this conversation. And then let him know that you were listening to the podcast by reaching out and connecting with him, maybe even tag the episode, tag him in it, and share that you have listened to this episode today. But without further ado, here's Sam Collier. Sam, thanks for being on the Courage Cast today. I really appreciate hanging out with you. I've been looking forward to our conversation today. And I know that you are in a huge media run right now with your brand new book, which is super exciting. And I have it right here, A Greater Story. You look good. Woo! It's a great book. It's uh, My Rescue, Your Purpose and Our Place in God's Plan. And it's uh, just all about your story, which we're gonna hear about a little bit here in a second. But I wanna say thank you. I've got so many questions for you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're passionate about.
1: Yes, well, I am in the U.S. (laughs) For those (laughs) out there um, that are in Canada and around the world. And I grew up here in Atlanta, Georgia, um, the birthplace of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., actually on the same street uh, that Martin Luther King Jr. was born on, raised on Auburn Avenue. My dad had, at one time, uh, the oldest business on Auburn. I think it still might be. It was a barbershop. Um, and it was right across the street, it is right across the street from the Martin Luther King Jr. Center. My dad is 84 now, and he adopted us, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, he's 84, so he's no longer working in the shop, but the shop still does exist. And I'm in ministry here. I do, I'm, I've got a TV and radio podcast as well as a television uh platform called A Greater Story, which the book is actually named after. We created those shows um, actually to lead toward uh, the book. So I'm so excited to be here. And I guess, I I don't know if you're asking this, but the premise of the book uh, surrounds this whole moment that happened about six or seven years ago on the Steve Harvey Show on national television where I reunited for the first time with my biological family. So I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to talk about courage.
0: Uh, I'm excited for that too. And I haven't watched the actual episode with you and Steve Harvey. I've read about it in your book, but (laughs) it it sounds like it was a really interesting time for you because they told you that you weren't going to be meeting your biological mom. And then all of a sudden you did. So why don't you share a little bit about that with us?
1: Yeah, it was, it was pretty insane. Um, you know, kind of leading up to it, our life, me and my twin sister uh, started in extreme poverty. And um, our mother was uh, 21 when she had us. She had three kids already. That makes five kids age 21. And our dad was addicted to all types of drugs and substances at the time. We actually lost him three months ago from COVID-19 um, in the hotbed of New York City. Uh, mm. when, I, when I say dad, I mean biological dad. And he had diabetes and went out to get some drugs uh, from the hospital and went back into the hospital, passed away from COVID 19 because he contracted it on the streets. And I tell you that part of the story just to bring people kind of into the reality of uh, where we were and where he was. And, you know, long story short, we get adopted by a couple who had just given their life over to God uh, for the first time. You know, my dad, I told you he's 84 now, so he was around 50 something then. When he got us and uh it was just the opportunity to do it right and uh they they come to adopt us at the adoption agency and the lady who's running the home says you don't want to adopt them they're probably not going to be much because of where they come from and they adopt us anyway in spite of the odds raise us mm-hmm. on auburn as i said um and you know, my sister gets all A's from kindergarten up to 12th grade, becomes an industrial engineer, spellman, and Georgia Tech grad. And I'm here on the Courage Cast and so many <laughs> other things. Right. Uh, God just already just rewrote our story in that moment. And some years went by after my sister kind of became this thing and I became uh, what I became right, in ministry and all uh, and all of the sorts. And um, our dad decided that it was time for us to go meet our biological family and said that God told him that we, Steve Harvey was gonna help us do it. (laughs) And I said, you've lost your mind, you're wild and crazy. And um, a year later they called us out of nowhere, convinced my sister to write into the show two weeks after he said that. And they called us a year later and, said, we think we can help you find your biological family. Do you want to do it? I said, I don't know. Let me call you back. Called my sister. She said, no, I don't want to do it, but I feel like we have to do it. They flew us up to to do the show. And when we got on the set, they said, we're so sorry we didn't find anybody, but we want to bring mm-hmm. you on the, on the show to make a plea that maybe they would show up one day. And uh, if you watch the clip, which if you Google uh, Sam Collier, Steve Harvey, the clip will pop up and you can see it. We come back after the commercial break. Steve Harvey says, I know I told you we didn't find anybody, but that's not the case. Your mother is here. Eleanor, come on out. And on national television, we met our biological mother and our three siblings that we didn't know we had.
0: Wow. That's that is the ultimate bait and switch right there. <laughs> yeah. Come on out and. uh now, I want to know the kind of before that moment and after that moment, what changed for you in that moment, finding out there's your mom, that's your biological mother, and your biological siblings? How? What was different about you and your life after that moment?
1: Um, I think for me... I was able to better understand how God orchestrates our lives in a in a way um, like never before, um, especially in the midst of confusion and even what some people would consider darkness. And I think for me, you know, many people that are adopted or given away at birth. Um, live out of a place of abandonment, right? I, when I was when I was writing the book, me and the team sat down and just talked about abandonment. And w- one of my uh, team members, who I thanked in the you know in the, at the uh, in the greeting section or in the thank you section in the back of the book, her name's Ashley Wiersma. She says, "So, what did it feel like to be abandoned?" You know. And I said, "I was abandoned," right. <laughs> Um, and I think for me, uh, learning about how God works and understanding what our biological family went through, um, in being raised in poverty, not having food for three and four days at a time, so on and so forth. And then looking back on my life and how God put us in more of a stable environment, not rich environment. We're middle-class, but more in a stable environment, you're able to kind of see more how God, in the midst of our darkness, confusion, turmoil, calamity, and the dark and and, and and the issues of the age that we live in, does His best to weave a, a greater story in the midst of it all. So, I think for me, just meeting them helped me better understand how He does that.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really great uh, way to look at it because a lot of people might say, "Well, you know." I'm going to harbor resentment or bitterness, or I'm going to, you know, maybe allow this to be a limiting belief in my life, you know, and you are looking at it from the lens of what God was doing to create something greater within your life. And I, I, I think a lot of people um, maybe don't haven't really struggled with abandonment per se but maybe acceptance, the desire to belong. And I know even through the past, you know, five, six months as we've been, you know, like you in the U.S. and us here in Canada, it's, you know, we're still in these, you know, quarantine days and it can be very isolating. And the whole uh, just living out this acceptance, I want to know how did you navigate that feeling of acceptance or not feeling Um, like you belonged in in your own life.
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, our dad who adopted us, raised us, um, he never let us live out of a place of abandonment, nor did he let us not live from a place of acceptance. Mm, Okay. And I think for him, he would always say things like, I mean, you could focus on what you don't have or you can focus on what you do have. And, and I, I wouldn't even say he would give us the option. He would just tell us, <laughs> you're gonna focus on right, <laughs> what you do have because, and I think for us, they did a, my, my parents did such a great job at exposing us to poverty and um, those that were without. I, I, I talk about in the book, when my dad would bring homeless people out to the house um, and they would be cutting the grass. And so he, he was, you know, he would always say, you know, look at what you have, look at what God has blessed you with, be grateful, live out of the place of acceptance. Cause you are, you're accepted. And, and he would even say that if we dared to live outside of that place, that we were being ungrateful. And mm. so, um, and he was right. And he was right. Because, You know, we live in North America, if you will. It's different than these third world environments in these countries. And there are so many people, even in North America, that live under the poverty line. And for those of us that don't, to live out of what we don't have versus what we do have when there are so many people going through words, I always say, whether no matter how low you are, there's always somebody lower. Yeah. No matter how high you are, there's always somebody higher. And I think for us, you know, my dad would always just stress that, like, hey, look at look at what God did. Be grateful mm-hmm. for what he did. And um, so I think that really helped us live out of that place of acceptance. I think the, the line that I'd love to just throw out there that he always said is, it's not about the cards you've been dealt, but it's about how you play the hand. So it okay. was really a, um, a, a constant reminder and um, encouragement, to maximize the now
0: mm. my mom well both my parents really they have always been the type of people who are so generous they're like they will give the shirts off their back they've been involved in every community that they've lived in yeah. since I was a child yeah and yeah. I remember being a kid and my mom said okay get in the van we're gonna do a drop-off and I was like okay you know I was like you know wanting to. Hang out at home and do stuff. Right. Well, we ended up bringing over some Christmas gifts to a family who were in need. And I remember pulling up, and mom said, Okay, grab some stuff out of the trunk and let's go in. We're delivering the gifts and some Christmas decorations. And I walked into their house, and I remember just kind of this feeling like, I'm not prepared for this. Like, I didn't know. And my mom and dad, you know, they, they were really good at at exposing us to things. But I didn't really understand it until much later in life, yeah. and i and I think now, looking back at you know how parents can model certain things and and teach us certain things, and I think my mom, you know, and she's still, you know, she's hardwired for that. Yeah. I'm not. I've had to learn it. I've had to learn how to be generous. And my parents are just naturally. Um, and so it's it's really interesting to hear. Do you feel like that was something hardwired in you? Or was that something that was learned and taught through your family?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I don't think we I don't think we naturally grow up generous. I think for maybe a couple seconds we are mm-hmm. until we live a little longer. And then even around age three, it's give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, right? We have to be taught to share, right? How many yeah. times have we all had to say to our kids, hey, you need to share, right? <laughs> I, mean, it's, right. I, just, I, I think what's hardwired in all of us from the day we're born, because we're born into what You know, as a um, as a Christian, I believe, and this is you know, depending on where you know people believe, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, Yeah, I I think they will they will identify with this. I think as a Christian, for me, I believe that we're born into a world of darkness, and so into a world of sin, and so our proclivity is to that selfish nature, and and so I think being generous um, and being grateful is something that has to be. Uh, pulled out of us and, and even taught and encouraged in us. And so I think for me, not, not I think, I know for me, my parents literally pulled it out of us. They demonized selfishness. They mm. demonized it. It was a problem. It was, it. we, we were yelled at. <laughs> if, if we, if they, if there was any ounce of us being selfish, self-righteous, um, ungrateful, I mean, and so, and so, because I saw my dad give so much, and 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 because they 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 celebrated our generosity and demonized our lack of generosity, um, we naturally, I think, became uh, generous and even feel bad when we're not. And so, it's something that I had to learn later um, um, in 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 how to manage so, because I was too generous, right? It was. Always, if you have a dollar and you give away the dollar, now you have zero. I mean, it's like you gotta <laughs> gotta figure out right how to manage it and take care of your family while you're also being generous. So I, I was often too generous at the expense of my own health and 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 um, and, and own well being. So I had to learn the actually how to get more of a grip on. It.
0: Maybe as you've been listening into Sam's story, you're thinking about something in your own life, in your own story that needs to come to life in realizing that your purpose and potential are ripe for just really impacting the world. but Maybe you're not sure how to do that, how to figure that out, and how to actually walk it out in a really tangible way. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that and to chat with you about how you can take the next step and really be intentional about your purpose, discovering what that is and how to live it out. So make sure that you book a free 30-minute coaching call with me. This is for people who have never had coaching with me before. We're going to talk, we're going to dive right in, and we're going to get to the heart of how you can start moving forward within that 30-minute coaching call. And if it's a great fit and you want to keep going, then we can keep going in a coaching relationship. But to do that, all you need to do is go to my website, which is andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule And book a time with me. Okay here's the rest of the episode with Sam. You know with everything that's gone on in the world in the past five months the world has been shaken up with um, the death of Ahmaud Arbery, with George Floyd, with just so many things going on and you know talking about families and uh, parents and you know, I've had really interesting conversations with my parents and I'll just give you a little bit of background. And I want, I want to hear, um, your, what you have to say and your take, because yeah. i I just want to know where you are in this whole, um,
1: conversation.
0: new, yeah, conversation. I'm like, I don't even know how to, to describe it, but my dad is a former police officer. So here in Canada, it's the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So he's, uh, tired many many years ago but my mom right. um is uh has she was a medical secretary but we've been watching a lot of you know following the news and following things going on in the US and and of course you know been really an enlightened here in Canada too just uh to the racial uh discrimination to you know uh white privilege and white fragility and all these things that back up 6 months ago I would have had no clue about I would have I was as um, clueless I would say use the word ignorant I guess probably is a better description yeah and my mom and I have had some really interesting conversations um, about you know just and she says to me you know here she just turned 70 this summer and she said Andrea if we need to be come anti-racist let's figure out how to do it and let's do it mm-hmm. and this is coming from my 70 year old mom who who is just like, I don't know how we're gonna do this and I don't know what it means, but however we're gonna do that, let's figure out how to do it. And so it's been a really interesting thing because, you know, the whole conversation ar- around race and around privilege within both Canada here and in the US as well, it's generational. It, it is, yeah. um, it's something that, you know, you know, a lot of times uh, in the, in the white community, we've said, well, that's not our, we didn't do it. Right. You know, but learning to uh, doing some reading and educating myself and and learning that this has been systemic going back many, many, many years. I want to know from you where, where do we take this as the white community? Where uh, as leaders, as people who are influential people who are just living life like what are the things that we need to know things that we need to learn whether we're my age or my mom's age
1: yeah you know I think one of the first I'm gonna say I'll say a couple of things I think one of the first things is you know I want to encourage everybody to get the book but but not just because we'll, we'll, we want to sell more books
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but because we spend a large part about three, about a third of the book is about growing up black in America. And I think that that's important to understand because out of a place of understanding, uh, change is created, awareness, context. With all that being said, what I've been encouraging people to do around the world is I think the invitation to the white community around the world, is to finish the job that was started Hmm. so uh, it's it's a profound statement to me because it it speaks to what kind of you said and 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 to the motivation and, and many of the feelings of the white community which is i didn't start it i didn't do it um and why am i being penalized you know so on and so forth and so I think the idea is that, no, you did not start it. But it's your job to finish what right. was started in terms of the reconciliation of what you didn't start <laughs> and yeah. what you did not create. Um, Because I think when we look over the years, historically what has happened is we, we hit a very, a a very dramatic um, and very uh, heavy um, and revolutionary period in which the world started to recognize that it's wrong that we discriminate and enslave black and brown people. There was a large period where it was, hold on, this is wrong, so on and so forth. And what happened is that we created I don't want to use the word temporary, it's not temporary solutions, but big solutions in the time being. And we said, that's enough. And, but we didn't finish the complete job. So then we kind of, we got, we became okay with just doing just enough to get people to be quiet or just to calm the nerves, if you will. And then what happened is, is a new generation emerged and then another generation emerged and another generation emerged. And they started saying, it's not our problem. We did not do it. They did the problem, so they need to fix it. But I think one of the things that um, that we have to realize is that it wasn't just one generation that created the problem. It was several generations that created the problem. And so it's going to take several generations to fix the problem.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And so I just want to invite my white friends into... On or onto the battlefield to finish the job. If I were to get a little bit more uh, intellectual and go deeper, can I go deeper? I'll go a little deeper.
0: Absolutely. Okay.
1: <laughs> if I go a little deeper yeah. um, on this, uh, I would say that when you have four hundred years of oppression, obviously that's specific to the states, but then also there's a lot of oppression, and there's been hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression. Uh, and obviously uh, in the in the surrounding areas and in the different countries specifically around black and brown people and that's why a couple of months ago we saw a a, a uh, global uprising of black and brown people in every pretty much every continent right that exists from the Aboriginals in Australia to the black and brown people in Canada to obviously here in the states and you know even in Africa I mean just all over the place um, well, but when you look at that, I think what people have to understand, and this is why reading books like White Fragility, and um, there's a book called, uh, You Know Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community by Mono King Jr. This is why when we read books like that, they're, they're, they're so important. Because I think what many people miss when they engage the conversation of race is that not only was there overt oppression, but there was also covert oppression as well. In other words, systems put in place to perpetuate racism throughout the years and when you have 400 years of systematic oppression it is easy to believe that while you solved what was overt that what was covert is still in play today
0: right okay
1: there are systems in other words there are systems underneath what we can see that are perpetuated. Um, In other words, let me go a little deeper. So here in the States, you know, the history of the police systems here in the state, the first police system ever created uh, was called slave catchers. Hmm. And so that's the beginning of law enforcement here in America. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I'm assuming it's probably similar. But when you think about that, the, the matriculation of the police force to where it is now kind of went like this. So you had the slave catchers and then after we got freed from slavery, um, we still had racist laws that were in place. So discrimination was still in place. And so then the police force was in charge of enforcing these laws that kept black and white people separate. And then when, you, when they integrated um, in the 60s and in the 70s, then you started integrating the police system. But as the laws have become much more integrated, the uh, there was a time when African-Americans, black and brown people started joining the police force, but they weren't allowed to change in the same room as the white police officers. Really? Yes, and this was a choice. And so then what started happening is um, even in the laws being changed, that would create, a, um, I guess, how would you say, um, a sense of lack of discrimination in voting and in businesses and all of that, um, the white counterparts that were still in power from a long time ago found loopholes within the laws to further enslave within the law. So then they had to create a law to go against the, the loopholes that they created to go, against, <laughs> to go against the laws that were created to, to um, solve the racist issues. And then now you get to today. But here's what we miss, I think, when we think about this. One, well, two things. One, the problem that we have today is that while we change the laws, we could not change the hearts. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. says, he says, you cannot legislate morality. Hmm. And so that is how you find yourself with individuals still creating loopholes to systems because their hearts have not been changed. Now let's push pause and go back a little bit more so I can, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll close this argument. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, this is good, thank you. Um,
1: within all of that, somewhere along the way, the systems that started from a long time ago um, weren't completely cleaned out. And, and it's easy logically and intellectually to see how that could happen, especially in law enforcement when the origin was slavery. Hmm. And so that is what I mean by um, finishing the job. That's what I mean by finishing the job. It's going back and lifting up the hood of Canada, lifting up the hood of America, lifting up the hood of Australia and going, let's see what systems are still in place that we forgot about because we, because for many generations, you didn't even know they were there.
0: Right. So exactly.
1: that's my long answer to the question.
0: No, That, that is so good. And, and I, I just even being able to hear it from your perspective, but also see it in a different lens, I think yeah. makes a, a big difference. And I think that we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, although, you know, I look back at, you know, six months ago and I think, wow, we've really, you know, come a long way in six months. There is still a tremendous amount of work to be done. One of the things I did want to ask, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people who listen to the, to the Courage cast who are, you know, attending church or part of a faith community or a spiritual community. And there's work to be done there as well within the, the church, you know, um, There's a lot of conversations going on right now about how, um, this conversation is being handled within different faith communities. How do we approach this in a spiritual context? Uh, if we're looking at it through the lens of the church or through the lens of just even, um, being connected to God.
1: Yeah. So when we talk about the idea of faith and the faith community, um, I am drawn to the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told uh, when he was cornered by the teachers of the law in reference to uh, who they should love. And the question was, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus said, well, you should love the Lord. You know, they were talking about the commandments, right? Like, who's the gra- yeah. what's the greatest of the commandments? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, well, who's my neighbor? They were trying to create a loophole. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he talks about the idea of a Jew who had been beaten on the side of the road. I mean, blood, you know, all of these things. Almost, almost dead, left for dead. And it says that, a Levite or a priest comes and walks by, or Levite, whatever you want to call it, first or second, then a Levite walks by, and then the Samaritan walks by, and the Samaritan is the one that actually takes care of him. What's amazing about this story is that it is actually a story about racism and about, about other things. And the Levite represents the worship leader. They were the worshipers of the day. The priest represents the pastor, teachers. And these are the people that we would believe the ones that should reach out first because they're the ones that teach about compassion and love and doing good. But they walk by um, and then the Samaritan comes by. And the reason they walk by is because of cultural differences. And the Samaritan reaches across his historical understandings and his cultural leanings and loves someone that's different than him in spite of. And Jesus uses that, and he looks back at the teachers of the law, and he says, who was the neighbor in the story? Like Who, who neighbored the man the best? And it was a Samaritan. And he's making a point that no matter what cultural differences we have, historical narratives we have, whatever, our, no matter what our race is or affiliations, we should love each other. We should reach across that. We should put it down and do what we have to do um, to be neighbors to one another. And so I think as we think about the idea of faith, I think God is calling us all, no matter what race we are, to go go across the line,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to even for some of us, go against what our family has taught us and be revolutionized in our mentality and let love lead the way. So I yeah, think yeah. as believers, we have to do that.
0: Now, there's many people. there are many people who are going to read your book and they're yeah. looking for their purpose. They're trying to figure out, you know, maybe life was different post-COVID and, yeah. or sorry, pre-COVID. And now all of a sudden they're trying to figure out, you know, where do I go from here? How, how can you, how do people do that? What's just something that someone can grab onto to just really understand? understand their purpose.
1: Wow. Wow, yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things come to mind when you talk about purpose, even in the midst of where we are today. Um, It can be very difficult to see it. I know for me, when I put this book out or when we were beginning the process, it was at the beginning of COVID. And I said, how are we ever gonna get a book out during COVID-19, right? It it wrecked (laughs) our plans. But you know, God had a plan um, even in the midst of the storm. And I think the first thing we have to think about even before we think through the tangible idea of purpose is can God still move in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in? It's the first question I think we have to ask him. It, it reminds me of when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and the storm breaks out and they're freaking out and they go geez you know they wake up where you know pretty much help us and he says to them where's your faith and i think he's saying all of that i think he's saying that to us i mean he his, his exact quote is oh you have little faith um but the question that he's asking is where is your faith no matter what the storms are no matter what's going on around you and i think that's the first thing we have to settle up before we get to purpose we have to settle Um, we have to settle the idea and we have to answer the question, where is our faith? Do we even have faith that God can move in the midst of the storm? And the the answer to the question is yes. doesn't matter what our situation is. He can still make a way. It may not be the way we want him to make, but a way he can make and a way he Mm -hmm. will make every single time. Even if it's him giving us the strength to make it through the storm, as opposed to calming the waves, which he does many times as well, I think after we solve the faith question or the faith problem, I think we we then get now to the to the more to the more tangible in terms of um, what is God calling us to in our lives, which we know is the great commission, but what is the unique way he wants us to carry that out and I think for me um, I often talk about this idea of you discover purpose when your gifts Align with your passion, and that aligns with provision. So with God's provision, even in the midst. And I, I think we we all can discover our gifts when we when we look at you know what 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 is something that we do that is actually helping the world. And then we look at our passions. What breaks our heart in the world that we live in? What problems are we supposed to solve? And then we have to look at provision. In other words, what doors is, is God opening uh, to allow for us to get? the assignment, the giftings, the passion out into the world. And I think for me, it's even, it's in the midst of the pandemic, it's opportunities like being on this podcast. It's, you know, Zoom meetings and Zoom sessions and Facebook uh, lives and opportunity. That's provision, God making a way. And I always say this, he will always make a way for what he has designed and what he has graced. And if yeah. if he has not made a way, nine times out of 10, he is not designed for you to walk down that road so that's what I would say in the midst of the pandemic now look for the open doors look for the road look for the new roads we've been through worse and we've gotten through it and you know we can get through this so
0: Mm -hmm. Sam, thank you for your story. I'm going to ask a couple rapid fire questions here at the end, but I just want to just encourage people who are listening, um, some of the stuff you talk about in your book, just really seeing beyond scarcity and hardship and deficit and really being able to overcome is something that you talk about. A lot in your book, you talk about going through um, relationships and um, exiting church relationships and yeah. ministries when things go wrong. And hey, if you've been a part of a church for five minutes, you've probably been there. You've you've been in that kind of context. So I want to encourage you guys to check out Sam's book, which is called A Greater Story. But, but Sam, before we go, I got a couple questions for you. Super rapid fire. Just fun. But what is the last book you read?
1: A greater story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's the last
1: one. Um, I did the audio book. That was hard. Um, that was the last one, but another one that I've been reading is obviously the Bible. I mean I'm in I'm getting my masters right now in theology. So I've been awesome. diving in and out of the Bible, just like uh, And so it's been wild. But that that's been that's been one. A greater story has been another. Uh, where do we go from here, MLK? Chaos or community has been a big.
0: Oh, well, that's good. What's your favorite song of all time? Oh wow! Don't think too hard.
1: Favorite comes song of all time? That's such a hard question. Um, because I I used to be a musician. Well, I'm still a musician. I mean, wow. Favorite? I mean, can we? This is what I stump you on, right? Say Michael Jackson. <laughs>
0: yeah you can that's okay i mean there's a lot of controversy on that but i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a pass on that one
1: human nature is
0: oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) okay what do you still want to do you haven't done yet
1: what do i still want to do that i haven't done what do i still
0: That might be your takeaway for today. <laughs>
1: what, what do I still want to do? I mean, I, wow. I, mean, a family, I want a bigger family. Okay. That's one, um, working towards that, excited about that. Um, that, I, I'll, I'll just give you that. I, I went, my brain went okay. 20. That's good. To 20 different things. <laughs> who's, who's
0: doing it best right now? NHL, NBA or MLB?
1: NBA all day.
0: (laughs) Please tell me you're a Raptors fan. That'll make, that'll just make me, you know. (laughs)
1: Listen, on this podcast, I'm a Raptors fan.
0: Thank you. That's all we need to hear. (laughs) We'll end (laughs) it right. Okay, hold on. Just two more questions. What is your favorite quarantine pastime?
1: Definitely movies, but I want to give another one just because we're talking about it. I just learned how to make a steak.
0: Oh yeah that is a skill and if you can learn how to do that on the barbecue you are right yeah yeah i know i do know that one okay and the last one uh, as we go here is what brave step do you need to take next
1: you know getting this book out is something that is requiring work it's been great first week was amazing we're doing great now but you know you're having to rethink so many different marketing things and so i think a brave step for me is getting out there like never before coming up with innovative ways and running as hard as i can when so many things are shut down Yeah, and that takes courage and bravery um and i'm excited about it we're starting the church next year so that's going to take bravery as well
0: that will for sure well i want to just encourage you by just saying that you know what in this uncertainty of life right now that this book was supposed to come out right now so you know when you think about that the design and the plan uh you had may not be what is gonna happen but it is still going to happen nonetheless it's just a matter of innovating yes being creative and pulling on those ideas and the courage that you need so thank you so much for being on the show for hanging out with us today Uh, where can people connect with you
1: Listen, hit me on Instagram at Sam Collier, pretty much on every social media platform at Sam Collier. If it's on Facebook, you can just type my name in. It's Sam Collier TV, I think is the URL. Um, but Google Sam Collier, everything will pop up or just go to agreaterstory.org, not org.
0: Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. One of the things that really stood out to me in our conversation today is when sam said taking a look at those things that we do that really impact the world and there is something that you do that impacts the world and you may think it's a small insignificant thing right now but let me just remind you that it's not small and it's not insignificant because what it is that you do, the person you are, the purpose that you are here on this earth is to have an impact on your family, on those around you, your community. And just by doing those simple things, maybe that skill that you have that you want to share with the world, maybe it's a story that you want to share with the world, maybe it's a company or a coaching business or being able to help someone through your art or your music, whatever that is, you have something to share with the world. I want to encourage you to take a step out and actually just walk that out in a very, very tangible way. And I'd love to hear how you do that. I'd love to connect with you. So make sure you do connect with me over on Instagram. And at the dot courage cast as well as my personal account which is at miss crispy and of course like i mentioned earlier make sure that you take a screenshot of this episode and go buy sam's book a greater story and tag him in it let him know that you read it or that you listened to the podcast and how it helped and encouraged you today friends thank you so much for hanging out with me today i love you next week i'm super super excited to start a brand new four-part series called what's standing in your way we're going to be going over some of the fears that we face and how to mobilize yourself to move past those fears you're not going to want to miss those episodes are coming up starting next week until next time remember you have everything you need to live bravely